Welcome to the North Leeds Jits podcast. Today on the show, back with the professor, Professor Mike himself. What's up? Uh, and we've got Coach Kev here, um, who is like, well, not a new addition to the coaching team, but has taken on a role of like more, um, more coaching. So, a lead coach in development, I would suggest, is mm. something, yeah, rather than assistant coach, kind yeah. of leading the GBK program alongside you into yeah. the future. Yep, so continuing on our little series of getting a few more of the coaches on as we were asked, which I think is a good idea to for some of the parents and um, obviously the team always likes to hear from someone in the team anyway, and Kev's here all the time, so thanks for being here Kev. You're welcome, thanks for having me. Why don't we just go straight back and tell us, because you've been doing martial arts for a long time, haven't you? How did you first get into martial arts and how old were you? Um, so I kind of was pseudo into martial arts for a long time because my dad would never really let me do martial arts because he thought I'd just basically fight everyone in the playground. So he was like, you can do judo or like nothing. And I was like, is there like any Bruce Lee moves in that? No. So I won't do that. So I kind of like did martial art magazine and like <laughs> Bruce Lee martial arts for a long time. When I was about maybe 12, I tried some Taekwondo classes, which I quite enjoyed, but it was at a, a gym where my parents were members. So then they stopped being members there and moved on. Um, so I sort of dabbled in a little bit of judo, a little bit of Taekwondo and tried stuff, but never really stuck at anything when I was younger. Um, so it wasn't really that I got into martial arts like seriously, which is after sort of my music sort of going out a lot phase that I discovered. Uh, well, actually one of my friends recommended me to go to this guy who did combat tai chi which at the time i was like well tai chi's not combat what's going on with that so you lose a lot of fights if you're doing tai chi i think it's mega slow in it exactly they saw it coming i didn't know why but yeah <laughs> the slowest doesn't always become the fastest um but yeah so then i sort of tried this out and then i really enjoyed it and it was obviously quite hands-on and um i did that for a long time with a teacher um until, well, basically I've always done Chinese martial arts really from now. So I was probably like 21 at that point where I really sort of take, started taking it super seriously. Mm. So dabbled before that. And then, then it was kind of like everything after that really, like pretty much all consuming. All right. So where did you grow up? So my sort of before 10, I lived all over the place. Um, I was born in Rochford in South End. So I'm technically a southerner. No, uh, exactly. Cancel the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, only, I was basically I was a month old when we moved to Northampton. I lived there till I was eight. My, my dad was a teacher, um, and then they had like this idyllic idea of like moving to South Wales, which is where my dad's family the side of the family are from, um, and kind of living with relatives and starting this. They bought this massive like farmhouse in Wales. The cult. So, a cult, basically. A cult. Well, to be fair, like, yeah, to be fair, like my uh, my background, like that side of my, of my family, are like very like um, fundamental Christians as well. So ah. they're like they're the Seventh Day Adventists. So a lot of people know about the Seventh Day Adventist diets. It's like one of the supposed to be one of the best on the planet, but a very mm. sort of fundamental. You go to church on Saturdays, and it's like the Sabbath, um, and you know, quite very sort of um, yes, yeah, sort of strict and very like very biblical based. Um, Sorry, were you brought up around that then? So that was your childhood. You were absolutely like yeah. Every every Saturday when my friends were like, do you want to come to town or do you want to do you know do play football or whatever? So I like competing in sports, but I could never play in teams because I couldn't do anything on a Saturday. It was like a, a day where you went to church. Could you help me understand what what that belief is all about then? So obviously believing God, but like what are the kind of things? So Saturday is the Sabbath. You don't do anything on Saturday because yeah, to church. So it's a, it's kind of a mixture between almost like Judaism and Christianity. So it's Christianity for sure, because they believe that Jesus was the son of God, which is what defines a Christian. Um, but it? it's, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, right. so for example, like in Jewish law, you believe in a God, but they don't believe that Jesus was the son of God. And almost like in Islam, they know he, they reckon, recognize him as a prophet, yeah. but not the son of God. It's not the same thing. Yeah. That's what Christians obviously believe. Um, but they, but then they're very much Old Testament based as well, which is like obviously like the Torah and sort of the sort of where Judaism sits more, which is um, 
all the food laws and, you know, the kind of Ten Commandments. And obviously the Sabbath was originally on a Saturday. It got changed to a Sunday. So that's right. the original day that you should. Uh, and again, with Judaism, then you don't, you know, you don't work. You don't, like, handle money, all those sorts of things on a Saturday. So it's kind of, yeah, I think it started in America, Seventh Adventism. but Seventh Adventism. Can, yeah. What's the food thing then that you said about the so day? So the food law, again, it's, it's kind of one of those laws which was, I, I presume, mostly developed because of um, sanitary issues well in the hot climate. So obviously no pork, um, no sort of seafood, nothing that scavenges off on the bottom. Um, I mean, I can't remember all of it. Nothing that doesn't have scales that swims in the sea. There's like oh, yeah. a number of things which, um, yeah, sort of real like kind of set. Um, so I didn't even have like bacon until I was like, maybe i don't know 12 and i got busted eating a bacon sandwich at scale camp for parents meal. what's that uh, delicious <laughs> and so how did you do you still believe in that yourself no i'm not no not uh, i wouldn't i wouldn't say i particularly believed in anything in particular um i'm open to obviously the idea of like a bigger thing than me for sure i think um that's definitely there but no i mean uh, from a young uh, uh, fairly young age I was like questioning stuff and it just didn't really always add up so when I was old enough they sort of you know they gave me the option then ah. so when you get to a certain age as well you get baptized and that's when you kind of make a so the difference between that as well is like a lot of people get christened um, yes. but uh, in this you don't you get like blessed but you don't get christened and then when you're an adult you make the decision to like step up to the next sort of phase as it were which is a baptism so it's like a full-on like dunking underwater yeah, yeah uh, like john the baptist style right, right. um so i definitely didn't want to do that at that point because i thought it's like i don't believe it so it's not true so at that point i got given the chance to sort of you don't have to come to church you're a bit older you know that type of thing at that point my parents split up anyway and kind of they stopped going to church as much anyway so interesting sorry i jumped off the marsh last yeah. time to the religious one no it's fine that. Well, yeah, it's quite interesting. It's yeah. interesting, isn't it? Just to, to hear about different people's backgrounds and yeah, we, you know, we spoke to Tom Walker, didn't we, about his kind of upbringing, which is you know again quite different to a lot of people. So I think it's nice to hear it. And that's where your early values and things like that come from. And so I'm still very much you know have no sort of links to church, but that idea of like you know treating people how you want to treat their neighbour, all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. and do not kill. Mm -hmm. so I think a lot of those values are so important that gets lost sometimes i think sometimes a religion can give you that that sort of structure and that understanding about morality and you know uh, your values so it's definitely given me a strong values i think did you have a strong sense of what you wanted to do from a young age like work-wise career-wise um not not necessarily work-wise in terms of like i'm going to be this mm. but i've always had a strong sense of what i'm i want to do and if i don't want to do it it's very difficult to motivate me to do it so i'll tend to excel in things that i love same at school you know if his subjects that i loved um then i'd be like always the top of the class if i saw no value in it and i couldn't relate how that might affect me probably a little bit immaturely at school but i just wouldn't do anything you know you couldn't there's no chance you're getting me to sit down and study, you know, RE. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, interestingly, yeah, that's true. But interestingly, as I got older, then got more interested in that. But um, yeah, my learning really started when I was more of an adult. But yeah, I've always had a strong idea about what I want. But I've also spent the first half of my life just exploring as much as possible to then kind of find what I love. And at this point, I really know what I love. But it's taken me a long time because I've tried a lot of stuff we all, like you know when I was featuring like Kev that's another thing yeah <laughs> I, I did a lot of jobs yeah. not a yeah I mean work wise I've always worked to live and do other things um, up until the point where I sort of started with you know David Lloyd career and I've always wanted to coach and do sports stuff um, but before that it was always just a job so I can do my hobby you know whether it's to do music or to do martial arts or whatever it might be tell us about the music then so I didn't know this till the other day that you used to DJ and stuff yeah, so um, again, I've always loved music. Like even when I was in church, I would always be singing like the choirs and always like, you know, around music. My family were really musical. Um, my dad, you know, played the guitar. So I started playing guitar and singing and all the rest of it. So I've always loved music, always been encouraged to do music. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess I sort of really got into it summer holiday before I went to secondary school and my auntie like started to show me a bit of how to play guitar when I was just bored we were in Wales in the middle of nowhere like learning how to play guitar um, and then 
when I got to 13, that, there was people at school that then obviously start getting your own music taste and stuff. Yeah, so yeah. at 15, basically, I started that. Like, we started a band called uh, Super Cow. <laughs> that was Super the first name. One of the guys was like, we're going to call it Super Cow. I was like, okay. Um, so we started a band. Um, and actually, we became like, we, we were really like disciplined. We were, like practice loads. We started like saving our pocket money and we had like a band joint account we put it into. So we bought our own PA gear. And then when we were 15, we did our first concert at school. They let us like do a concert in assembly. Uh, and we're like, and people really liked it. We we're just doing covers at this point. Um, what were you covering? What stuff? Well, like, uh, what, what would it have been? So it's probably oh, definitely lots of Oasis um, and like Terror Vision mm. and. Yeah, or that that, that they're sort of Indian, Indian some rock. Yeah, so some Nirvana and stuff like that as well. Um, but yeah, we're like kind of a mixture of Indian. My first one was called Frugal. Frugal. <laughs> that's a Doncaster band for you. <laughs> <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, that's brilliant. I love that Frugal. Um, yeah, so we did that, and then we actually organised. This was like I'm, I'm always quite impressed with the fact we did this. What we did in the end was we hired a church hall. Um, it was right near us and we like organized our own gig and we sold out like 200 and something tickets for it wow. and that then generated more money for like a PA desk and stuff so we did it and like everyone came down so we got a couple of mates band supporting so from that we sort of really started like loving it and writing our own stuff which was absolutely terrible um see so yeah, that's that really got the bug and I was like the lead singer at that point and played some guitar and played the odd cheesy track on the piano, like, you know, half time, like a solo piano track, like Glory Boy. <laughs> Slow it right. <laughs> yeah. Like, it was like a, oh, well, I can't remember what they're called now. Um, what's a band called? They were massive at the time. They're like an indie band that did loads of, like, slow stuff. They were from, like, Huddersfield or someone like that. I can't remember what they're called. Embrace. Embrace. <laughs> I could tell you so about Embrace. Maybe not for this channel, <laughs> but the woman who took all the photography artwork for Embrace's album, I ended up being, she was my girlfriend. Uh-huh. I was 17, she was okay. 34. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> 34. <laughs> mum, mum, mental. Anyway, that's, a, that's for another story. Yeah. Yes. That's another after hours, Northeast Yes podcast. <laughs> yeah, so, um, so just, yeah, basically played in bands right up until being about 26 basically uh, and it kind of evolved I got into sort of blues music and sort of played in some blues covers bands and rock music and then got actually got a bit more grungy uh, and kind of rocky and, and even a few like metal sort of tracks so sort of moved into different genres and then the same with the, the DJing really it was I liked DJing but they just paid more when you mm. went to do a gig you got paid like some beers and very little I could DJ at like a club and get paid like 200 quid for an hour set so it's just like like light music and it supplements it so i always liked it but music writing music was always the and we were on the decks were you like in the mix or you just yeah no so a bit tracks. of everything i dj'd house music at um oh, nice. clubs like speed queen and things oh, like wow. that for a while um but also all, all sorts of hip-hop funk in different bars all over the place there's a, a place called Very the cool. swan which was like right underneath the theater the grand theater yeah I used to dj yeah, there yeah, and yeah all over the hi-fi club um yeah, lots of lots of different places. Very cool. Hmm. But yeah, that life that lifestyle was pretty full on. And all my friends were drinking and smoking. I used to smoke a lot. I didn't drink a lot. I was never a big drinker, but I used to smoke a what lot. What were your so. cigarettes of choice? What were you, did you smoke? Yeah. Cig- what did you smoke? C- cigarettes. Yeah, but what kind? Oh, what sort of cigarettes? Well, um, probably started on Benson Marble and Hedges. Lights, I no, never Lights. No. More roll-ups. Oh, roll-ups. Like camel. Yeah, mostly roll-ups. As a musician, not much money. Roll-ups were like just... Did you put fillers in the end? Sometimes, yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> what was inside the roll-ups, I suppose. Yeah. 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 But that's, that's what changed it for me is when I got recommended to go and want a, a promoter for um, a manager, actually, for a band that I knew that got signed. Um, he introduced me to this person that taught martial arts, basically, in Leeds. I taught his combat tai chi. And when I got into that, that's what made that change then. I started to, like, do qigong and breathing, and I was, like, getting fitter again. I was very sporty when I was younger, and I had this, like, lapse where I looked awful. I had, like, long hair. I was, like, pale, skinny. Like, you know, trying to dress like Jimi Hendrix and flares and stuff. Um, <laughs> Do we have any then, pictures of this? Yeah. I'm in. I can certainly send you some pictures. I Green velvet some. jacket and glasses without the lenses in oh, my face. Look. Yeah, draw, you were a drummer, right, as well. So drummer was always like the kind of cool, like, mm. cool, aloof type at the back. <laughs> yeah. Not me, I was like Keith Moon. I was oh. at the front. Oh, really? Like proper? Yeah, yeah I all our drummers were like the aloof ones that got the girls because they didn't say much, but they just like Still you know, got the girls. expressed it through the rhythm. 
Yeah. So, sorry, sorry. Okay, so we've gone through the girls, done music, done religion, fundamental <laughs> Christianity. So we end up like you discovered martial arts, as he was saying. Yeah, I was going to ask, um, was there a point where like you thought you'd be like a musician as like a career and then... It, yeah, I mean, my parents asked me if I wanted to, I, when I was supposed to be looking at going to uni, I was doing a sport, like a sports science, like BTEC National, I think it was at Park Lane College in Horsford. And basically the lecturer at that time, like obviously is like a lot less funding and that lecturer for some reason wasn't around. So we kept getting chucked into different lessons. So we weren't really doing the course. I stopped enjoying it. My parents were like, what, what are you going to do? Everyone else went to uni. My sister's a dentist. They all went and did something pretty decent at uni. And I was just like, no, I'm going to be in a band. I'm going to be famous. So I don't need uni. And also I won't stick at it so I won't waste the money because grants had stopped at that point. So it's like time to borrow. So I just knew I wouldn't see it through. So I was like, no, mm. I'm going to be a musician and I'll get a job if I have to. Well, my dad basically won't get a job pay rent. <laughs> Quite simply. So I, yeah, no, I definitely did. And I had friends that did get signed around us um they were like better anyway but um that was that was the aim to start with mm. yeah like and when did that feel like that kind of petered out in your transition um i think at the point where i started to move away a little bit and do more martial arts and really enjoy that mm. and want to kind of get fitter but also i just found that i've always been a fairly organized person and around musicians that's quite frustrating so it'd be me that I had to like pick them all up and then the bass player would be like, oh, I've left the bass player, my bass amp at my mate's house last night, can we go get it? And then I'd do all this stuff, get there, it'd be like babies. <laughs> and then you'd rock up at a gig and someone would be like, here's some free beers, we can't pay you because you're not sold any tickets because the promoter hadn't bothered or whatever. And it's just like, this is hard work. Yeah. And tell me about the martial arts journey then. How did, how did you start? How does it ended up here? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's been a, a really good journey, to be fair. So started, I started with this combat Tai Chi, um, and at the same time, so I'd, I'd done that for about a year and a half, and I was sort of really started getting into it, um, and I was training quite a lot. And then I met um, this uh, this other teacher's um, friend was also a martial arts teacher, and he was very good, so uh, he did sort of different types of Kung Fu. So I started sort of training with both of them. They were close, so we sort of trained together. Um, and then randomly I got told about this Chinese guy that was like over and he, and I'd been looking at doing like, so in like martial arts do quite a lot of weapons forms and things mm. like that. And I'd always wanted to learn, obviously watching martial art movies, like a sword form. So this guy basically taught this Yang styled sword form that I really wanted to use, which is similar to like Crouching Tiger, you know, that sort of straight, thin, flexible sword. And I always wanted to do that. So I went and met this guy and he was like absolutely incredible. He's just like, like the first time I ever saw him, he kind of like went to do a kick and then he ducked under someone's legs and ended up behind him. Was just like, what the hell? It's just like super fast, like this little Chinese guy. So I, I actually trained with him for uh, as well, doing this form for about a year. Um, and he was a student over here at the time. So basically he invited me to go to China with him when he, when he's, student sort of time finished and go stay with his family and his mum was like a famous qigong teacher so she traveled to japan as well and did a lot of acupuncture and got paid really well so they were really wealthy they had like a house in um in beijing and different places so he said why don't you come and stay with me for a couple of, like my family for a couple of weeks um so i did that went over that turned into like four weeks um and he had loads of different masters that he knew. So I then went off and trained with some of his masters in different places. So like some Tai Chi masters at the Wushu Institute in Beijing, which was like Jet, where Jet Li trained with Grandmaster Wu Bin, which was his teacher. So that was like this like immersive, like kind of mm. culture shock. So then I couldn't speak Chinese. So I just, and I just absolutely loved it. So at that point I was like, right, this is like for me, I absolutely love it. Like training martial arts all the time is just ace. Um, so I actually went back um, at this point as well. I was looking at Shaolin Kung Fu because obviously all the movies where they sort of shave their heads. I'd shave my head when I went to China. So that's when all my long hair came off and my, my band days. I shed my, my band, my band days, <laughs> a metaphor. Um, and so I went, actually went back two more times as well and trained at the Shaolin Temple. I trained at like the University for Martial Arts in Beijing as well, which I went for six weeks and that was like a full on intensive up at six, you know, getting basically absolutely smashed. Like there's stretches where you're like crying and then make you do like hundred kicks on one side, hundred kicks on the other. But I just loved it. I uh, absolutely loved it. So then 
when I got back, um, I'd learned loads of, I'd learned absolutely loads. I've also learned this like quite rare style of martial art called Shinyi Chuan. Um, Seb actually is the only person I've ever met that's like, oh, Shinyi Chuan, ace. Oh, right. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, someone knows it. But it's like a really linear style of Kung Fu, which is designed for like the battlefield where you've got people next to you. So you can't swing your sword left and right. And it's like based on spears if you've got like people coming towards you. Um, I got really into that. So then I started teaching seminars. So my teacher then asked me to start teaching. Um, and then he gave me some of his classes and it kind of evolved. So then I was working part-time as a landscape gardener. And then I was teaching part-time in like gyms, doing Tai Chi and, and some of his classes and doing different seminars and stuff. So it started to then I was like, oh, that's when I really started to realise I enjoyed teaching as well. And do you get graded for these martial arts? And do you go from the belts or? It's, it's a lot, it's a lot less, it's a lot looser. Like Chinese martial arts is weird. And that's something that actually pulled me into other martial arts as well. It is. So, especially with Tai Chi, so to get, to be taught, you, uh, you have to have a black belt. So that, so to get insurance and stuff. So I had to go to like Cougar Arts, which was an insurance company at the time and, mm. and get insurance. So he had to then basically validate me as a black belt to be able to get graded to be able to then teach classes. But then again, it's just at the person's discretion. And the, a lot of the people are like independent people or they might be affiliated with another school, but they kind of do their own thing. It's a lot, it's a, it's just not regulated in the same way or like kind of a, a, as official as, you know, like a Japanese style martial art, obviously presumably it comes from that background with geese and belts and stripes and all that stuff. I mean, you didn't even wear a uniform when you train, you just wear something loose, rock up as, you know, you might have like the odd t-shirt or something. With Wing Chun, you wear like black trousers and a white t-shirt when I've done that with Sushi Colin Ward. But um, yeah, it's a lot less, it's a lot looser and kind of less official. Interesting. Um, how do you know, how, how can you validate someone's experience then yeah it's very yeah. difficult and that's Must one be a lot of charlatans just turning up and but, saying, oh, this is super rare format i learned out in wherever yeah and i mean we see Wuhan. and you see it right exactly like COVID. yeah you see it all but yeah you see it all the time you see it online all the time you know you see the no touch people yeah. a lot of those guys have got a background in kind of chinese martial arts and maybe even some tai chi and then they start to do some really subtle stuff that has some value but after a while their students just become compliant before you know it they're all basically a mass hypnosis and they're all just compliant and leaping around and stuff and I have met loads of people like that during the journey and that's one thing I found which um, I did always feel like a little bit lost I wasn't quite sure you know here I can go like you know we've had we have the discussion with you and I'm like you know after I did a couple of comps and you're like right you need to get back from the bottom that's a great place for this so earn the right to get on top mm -hmm. so I was like well I'm going to work on my close guard game then sweeps and submissions from close guard then right, I'm going to work on half guard and it's got this structure where you don't feel lost I always did in that it was all you were always just jumping between so I think you were a bit of a jack of all trades and a master of none yeah we even asked Ricky didn't we about this about whether or not those martial arts he felt were applicable to like the street and for self-defense mm. I don't know if you've seen that podcast yes I have but yeah. he said no like yeah. he didn't feel like it did it, it felt like it was almost like an art form but not really applicable and I think a lot of people get confused don't they presume because it is a martial art yeah. that there's like value in it in terms of being able to prep yourself. Yeah, I mean, in what terms do you think? Of, yeah, I think I think there's a lot of truth in that. I, I can't. I think Ricky's is like Taekwondo and um, and then obviously Krav Maga and and I think Taekwondo is a very sports based um, system. So obviously, you don't do a lot of punching noise and it's a lot, quite a lot of kicks. The martial arts have always done apart from the Shaolin stuff, which is that's what shot me when I went to the Shaolin Temple. Um, you did all these like forms and you know like different kicks and you learn all these animal forms and stuff and then you'd start sparring and they'd just start doing sandar which is basically like Chinese Muay Thai or kickboxing and I'd be like well I'm not saying they're drilling hours and hours a day like the kids get hit with sticks if they make mistakes doing these flips and all these different forms and moves and then they spar and they're just doing you don't see any of it in there Oh, which is like I found bizarre like that was a bit of an eye-opener when I went to China part, part of that experience was good for me was not actually that I did learn loads of cool stuff and loved it but I also was like actually there's a lot of like kind of smoke and mirrors here um and that's and that was part of it which also drew me drew me towards Brazilian jiu-jitsu and that's like when I said I wanted to first compete I was like I've never actually been really tested I've done it in classes I've sparred there's always rules there's always gloves and then there's always a reason so for example when I ask a question like you know I've, I've done this in multiple classes I've been to what happens if someone gets you on the floor oh you just do this but and then I'm like well I've been coming for three years and I've never trained that i've never trained on yeah. the floor so how do you know that that stops 
someone like charging and taking out. What happens if you trip over? And then there's always like a it's the this sort of conversation ends at that point. It's what I loved about you two. Someone asks you a difficult question, you go, let's have a look. Yeah. I think we spoke about the honesty of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I'm not, I'm not saying here that other martial arts aren't honest, because they of course are, but some aren't. But the, the easiest way to see whether a martial art is honest is just, just let's go do it. Let's go yeah. see. And that tap that tap thing is a big thing. You know, you can, like you say, you can train in comp class for training at like you know, 90-ish percent, you know, and you get found out. Whereas you can quite easily kind of just, yeah, I definitely, that's what I loved about it. I've got a lot of time and nostalgic love for like the Chinese martial arts and I really enjoyed doing it all my life. But I had to make a decision. I made a decision, right? I was going to, when I came here, I was really doing my Wing Chun as well. And I had to make a decision. Do I do both and never really get great at either? Or do I commit to one? And then obviously all of this, the community and everything, I was like, no, this is, I'd rather spend time here and I prefer to train here. So tell us about that then. Tell us about the, when did you arrive at GBR and how did you find out about us? What happened? Yeah, so I was training. At, um, so when we went into lockdown, I kept, I've been watching like Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, like little videos and obviously UFC for years. And I was like, oh, I should do it, I should do it. I've never done it. I don't really know why to do it. And actually, I think it is partially this loyalty to like, well, to a teacher or like, yeah. I've been doing Chinese martial arts. That's what I do. Uh, and I can't do something else. It would be like almost treacherous to do it, you know. Uh, and then in lockdown, obviously everything stopped and I had this time like everyone did to like reflect. I was like, I've want been wanting to do this for years. I said, so he's a really fancy. And she's like, why don't you? And before lockdown, the boys were doing judo. Um, and, I've, and now they've got older, I really wanted to do something with them. They were doing judo at another place. Uh, and I was then looking at doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu somewhere in separate places. And the place that I was training at had a fairly small timetable. We went into lockdown and then the timetable stayed small. I wasn't sure if we were going to expand it. At that point, you guys were on social media doing your YouTube, you know, podcasts and the videos and stuff. Big hair, out. bit fatter. Yeah. I remember those days. Yeah, and obviously this is this was the bit for me. This was the break point. So I've known, like, T for a number of years. Obviously, he went off, but um, he worked at David Lloyd. Um, we got him really well. David Lloyd really liked, uh, really liked and respected. Obviously, you were going through your Marine stuff at that time, weren't you? And or you just, uh, just after it, yeah. yeah. So, and you were into same similar things to me, like martial arts, and you know, there's just, yeah, just uh, always thought T was a really cool guy. Disappeared from David Lloyd, and then the next thing I know, actually, I went and I was doing some boxing as well between just to stay fit down at Tiger's gym. Saw your face on the wall in the pictures. It's like a like, 10 year old. Tea, or no yeah. And then I, asked, um, then I asked Michelle about it and she was like, oh yeah, he was coming here for years. He did Muay Thai and you obviously knew he did. I just didn't know where he did it. Um, and then literally the same week when I saw that picture, your social media cropped up on uh, Facebook of you doing this, opening this school. And I was like, and obviously it's Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, which had started. But I was like, oh, I've started at this place now. I can't just ditch this other place. That would not be fair. Oh, sorry, what were you doing, BJJ? Uh, Origin. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So, and with Josh? I'm, yeah, with Josh. Uh, like, such a nice guy as well. So, it, and I, like, I had a word in the back. I was just like, the timetable's not big enough for me. I'm not going to be able to get to enough classes. Plus, the kids' classes weren't timed right for me. And at that point, I'd really made a decision that if I was going to do something, I really wanted to bring Harry, maybe Jackson into it. Because mm-hmm. um, I wanted to do something with them, like father-son type thing. So, yeah, when you guys opened up, I was, like, watching. Um, and then after lockdown, I spoke to um, Josh and said, will you change your timetable, do you think? He was like, no, not for a bit. And he's concentrating a lot on competition, I think. Um, so then I was like, well, I think I'm going to move across then. And I was like, anywhere where T is, it's not going to be full of idiots because he's not that type of character. So that made that made my decision. So oh, I nice. contacted you, didn't I? And you're like, come down for a mm. trial. And I think signed up on, what, 21st of May, I think it was. I had a look on oh, there. Team up the oh, other day. Oh, a year anniversary then, man. Yeah. yeah, and then um, Harry signed up. I think I signed Harry up like a couple of weeks later. Fantastic. And never looked back. Amazing. Yeah. So tell me about those kind of first few sessions at GBRL. How did you find it? Um, so I've gone to, in, I've done like lots of martial arts for years. So I wasn't like that like nervous about coming to something new. Actually, I quite like new things. I like coming into an environment. I like get challenged by something new. I've done that loads. So that didn't <laughs> phase me. 
But like any, everyone, I was like, I've been doing martial arts for years, I'll be all right. <laughs> <laughs> Classic. Yeah, exactly. It's just naivety because I've never, again, I've done some like just a little bit of origin and then it obviously COVID, that last lockdown came. So I was doing it from home. Never been like actually got, someone's got hold of me who's very good at ground fighting. One of the guys I trained with was excellent at judo. Uh, and I've done, I actually did a year of Aikido, which I missed out just to learn how to break for. So I literally said to the teacher, I'm going to come for a year. Payment subs is that cool? I just want to get thrown loads because um, that's one thing I hadn't done. So I just basically got lobbed around for a year. So, I was, and I, so he was good at throwing. So I'm fine with the throws and stuff. But yeah, I just couldn't believe even, I think, I can't. I think I had Ollie on the, no, it was to, I think I had Toby on the first one and just got absolutely, yeah. It was just like a whole new thing. I was like, this is ace. Uh, and then just the way you taught it, like the structure of it, I really liked the syllabus after having no syllabus for years. And that, you know, when I got explained about the 16 week cycle and just the process of how you taught it, it's just like, this is like just excellent instruction. I've taught a long time as well. So I think I can recognize someone who teaches well and, and it just worked for me. That teaching style for me is perfect. You know, the way you break it down to steps and you use different metaphors. Just, I just well, you're a student, aren't you? Cause I mean that in a really complimentary way because you've learned a lot of things. We'll probably speak a little bit about all the other stuff you do in your business and all the other qualifications. Every time I say, oh, there's this, and you're like, yeah, yeah, I've done that. I've done teach that. I'm like, what? I've done so many other things. So it does really, jiu-jitsu represents you. So really, if you're a thinker, if you're smart, I would say if you're smart, you're going to like it. Yeah, I love learning new stuff, and this challenges me by every session, you know, some sessions I go, this is great and it feels natural, but then there'll be, and I can work on something small, like a refine a little motor movement. And another session, you know, this one a couple of weeks ago, I'm like, Kev, just do this. And I'm just like, it's a gross, like really easy movement. I'm just missing it. Mm-hmm. And then that's brilliant. It just humbles you, brings you right back down. Like, I need to like think about sometimes the bigger picture. I just never, I've not had a session where I'm like clock watching or bored. And then I go home infused with, you know, right, I need to, this is where I like, and you know, and that's beautiful in jiu-jitsu because then you've got these other great teachers out there. I can message you, I can ask you, or you've got the Danahers and stuff that just give you these, it's just, it's endless, it's exciting. Yeah. And uh, have you found the competition stuff competing recently? Yeah, I've, I've, I've loved it. I'm very competitive with myself. I'm cruel on myself in a lot of ways, but the first one I was really nervous for in terms of being in competition um because uh, like when i started i said i don't know whether i'm going to do one or ten i've just never really been tested against people in the competition all of the styles i've done before i've always done competitions which is form or like kind of almost like really loose sparring mm. um and but on all those teachers like oh we don't compete because you know, against this mindset, oh, I can't jab someone in the eyes. You can't do that in competition. I can't kick in the nuts or whatever. There's always a reason to not compete. I've always said we don't do that. That's not what martial arts is about. Um, and I've always wanted to test myself. So the first one was just a big test. Have I actually got what it takes to get actually not bottle it? Because, of course, yeah. in the build-up, you're like, oh, I'm feeling a bit, oh, oh, you know, your brain starts finding reasons to not compete. I had lots of that. Um, and I just really liked it. Did okay. Um and now it's more a case of, I just see it as, I've done what, four now. And after the second one, it was like, stay calm again and try and just hold it together, actually trying to listen more. The first one I didn't listen to anything. Um, and then now it's like, a, right, have I got better? Yes. That's a fantastic Have I learned? What have I learned? This time I got forced to play my bottom game. I made a choice to do that. I would never have done that before because there was some, not a lot of confidence, but enough for me to go, right, I'm going to play another game that I don't see as my A game, but it's strong enough to play because this guy's better at me than my A game. Mm. And it's a great, uh, competition's a great arena, isn't it, to, like you say, to test your jiu-jitsu and just see how you've developed and see where your holes are as well. I think that's probably the, the best thing, the best outcome from any competition is that it, it shines that really bright spotlight on the things that you're not very good at. Definitely. You know. Yeah. And, and then uh, you know you can go back to the academy and you can work on it and you can improve and there's this kind of cycle of continuous improvement the whole time yeah and I think you always remember more when there's an emotional attachment as well so like competition it's so emotional that moment when you know that you've been beaten by a weakness is going to stay with you yeah 100% because or a mistake it's yeah, like a mistake in class where it's a passing thing you don't feel you can forget that quite quickly 100% I'll never forget a loss no what made you um want to jump in on the kids coaching side of things um 
because I just love coaching and I, like like kids always have done. Also, I've got two step kids. I don't have my own kids, but um, I've always like I've got lots of nieces. I've always loved spending time with them. I love like, like kind of they're just fun and they're like they're fat, they're sponges. And the idea of like developing and passing something on and, and kind of being a good role model is like one of my values anyway, which is contribution and like growth. That's I've got like my own values, and one of those is very firmly about like giving back and and growing myself but also like helping other people do that that's what my business that I love doing is all about is getting people to do something and grow and change and I've always wanted to again the martial arts I've done I've never done kids classes I've never taught kids classes I could never get the boys into them so again when I got here um seeing like Harry how much he's enjoying it and then just seeing the kids on the maps like one of, I want to be part of that and then obviously you invite me to assistant coach and then I just loved it from the start just the time it's just so much fun I come out like just enthused that you know the tots are just like super cute just look at the little gee just like love them and then you've got this like amazing progression between you know then you've just got the madness of lc1 but they're like so enthusiastic and they're starting to get the techniques and then you've got lc2 where you're like going this kid's better than me <laughs> like they're dynamic they're athletic they understand the techniques they're really like become competitive and then obviously the teams where they're like obviously becoming adults and then there's a whole like whole other sort of part of that so it's like a dynamic in each class that you can Obviously, giving to them, that's just your coaching. That's part of it, being a leader. But they give so much back. You can see all these, you know, these different things. It's ace. And like I think you were saying the other day, imagine what, you know, this person's going to be like when they get to 18 and they've been coming for like 10 years. It's yeah. just, that's so exciting. Yeah. And in that podcast, we spoke about the impact that we have or are able to have as coaches. So, yes, that person's going to be so far ahead in their abilities across a number of different mm. characteristics and traits, not just the ability to defend themselves or be physical, but to talk and be confident. We get the older kids, if, if you're not, if you haven't got a child in all the older, older programs, we don't pair them up, we go and get them to pair up themselves. Yeah. So they have to go and introduce themselves to someone else. Most kids don't, particularly teenagers, yeah. they're scared of their own shadow. Mm. So to get them to go out and and then we make sure that we go and test them that we know the names so we know they've done yeah, it. Yeah, that's great. I really so then like when that. they go into that freshers week mm. or they go to that new class, they're walking around saying, oh, hi, by the way, my name's John. It's like, that's amazing. Who yeah. said it today about the kids asking if you're all right as well? Yeah, Was it yourself? when I asked you in the meeting if you were all right, yeah. Because we always oh, say yeah, to yeah. our kids, like, make sure you, if someone asks if you're all right, you say, yes, thank you, are you? And then it's a shock that they all do it. But the other kids their age don't do it. It's mm. magic. The point I wanted to make there was, yes, we're having this great impact on them, but don't forget, or we shouldn't forget, that they'll remember who we are for this. They will reflect on this. As yeah. you reflected on your martial arts journey, someone one day is going to ask them, how come you're so confident? And that I hope they say, and they probably will say, well, I yeah. used to go to this jiu-jitsu class. And they used to get us to come out and lead the warm-ups. And there's this one guy called Kev, who was like my favorite coach, or, or whatever it is, or T. Probably not me. But it's such an amazing thing to be able to do for people, isn't it? It's such a powerful thing. If anyone's listening, any, any of our students who want to experience that for yourself and want to give back to the community, come and see us because we're always on the lookout for Yeah, I'd definitely say if you should just come and at least give like try it anyway, you know, even if you're like, oh, I'm not sure if I want to do it all the time, but to just to come and try it, the experience is so cool. Uh, and again, it just means you more part. That's what I loved about this place. Anyway, when I walk through the door, is like I know it's like almost a cliche now about this place, but you know the atmosphere, the look of it, the community. Um, you know, everyone's friendly. That whole thing and being part of the coaching team and the competition team and all these other aspects really just, you know, it is like a home. Um, and that is the difference. I've never been anywhere where it's been a home like a second home where sometimes I'm at home and I'm like I might just go to the academy a bit early <laughs> Lauren said that didn't she she called it a home from home yeah, yeah it is definitely that's great that's what we it was designed in that way right yeah, that you, there was these spaces that you know I felt sorry for Adam this morning but we were having a team meeting and he came in 45 minutes before class so he could hang out with his mates and have a mm. coffee and we had to like shut the door and finish the meeting but that's lovely isn't it that yeah. people see it not just a place to come and train but a place to reconnect we had the the get together on Tuesday, which we've now called the open chat, so the open mat, and it's where people can just come and eat some always amazing cake, just chat. Mm. It's so good. The feedback. So we're going to do that on a monthly basis going forward. I think we've agreed. 
Yeah, yeah, uh, it's excellent. It's brilliant. I mean, the more things we can do to try and broaden out our impact on people, uh, be more holistic about what it means to come here, and go going back to that point we always said that we're here to develop people. Jiu-Jitsu is a tool to do that. Yeah, we're it's in the people development game. Mm. Um, we should probably talk about you've had a big kind of change in. Uh, your life I guess now you kind of yeah yeah talk about that for a little bit yeah so I've um I was a regional manager for David Lloyd for um what three and a half years and I worked like I was employed by David Lloyd for five years so this is a month where basically that's I've stopped and uh, I'm going to be running my own business I'm going to be coaching which is absolutely awesome so I'm doing uh, the kids classes as well and then obviously like you said in the last podcast a bit of facility management just making sure everything's sort of working in the within the academy um and you've already had an impact on the academy with that by the way so that's already Ben Better. noticed today his table's fixed. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> that's like, what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, not only that, but also for me personally, like you've had an impact for me because it's one other thing that I don't have to think about or you don't have to think about. And yeah. we've got a professional here who has done that for a living and gets it and enjoys it and is good at it. So, again, it's going to benefit the community because the light bulbs are going to be working and the toilet rolls are going to be topped up. And it's stuff like that. The, yeah. the handles are going to be fixed and the table's not wobbling. We want it to be perfect, don't we? Yeah, it's like it's like, quite, it's like one of those roles where it's like an unnoticeable role, but everyone feels a difference, which is what I love to Batman or David totally. Lloyd. You never got like the glory or anything because you're fixing stuff behind the scenes, but everyone just comes in and it all works. And mm. that's, that's cool, cool. I quite like that about that, that so job, um, which I really enjoyed. But yeah, it was time to like move on. I've been self-employed most of my life um, and I liked working within the business. I learned absolutely loads about business and all the rest of it, but... Like when we first started, I liked to have my own, like drive my own path. And in a big business like that, you can't really do that. So, yeah, I wanted to get back to like, again, my sort of fitness background uh, and coaching. And that's what I love about this. Even though I've got like a separate business and then I'm coaching here, it's actually all just coaching and developing people. It's the same theme, just in like two different platforms. Yeah. They cross over so well. So tell us about Fit to Thrive then. What's it all about? Um, so it's a, a kind of a bit of a... Um, I've, I've had like fitness businesses before, um, but during during lockdown, obviously, it highlighted this um, fact that people very quickly like can lose habits. So people that we knew to start with, we just there were people that we knew that were like active, they were doing obstacle racing or running or whatever, and they just stopped, started drinking, started eating badly, putting weight on. They weren't happy, and we were like noticing that. Um, and then look, my partner also is like a group X instructor, so she teaches in gyms all over the place, all over like. West Yorkshire practically um, so we decided anyway that we we're going to sort of set up this Facebook group something for us to do because neither of us are good at sitting still and we weren't going to just we don't really drink and stuff so we couldn't even do that um, definitely ain't more but we decided we we're going to set up this Facebook group for free and we're going to run classes from it um, so we did that and Louise was running like 10 classes each week and we ended up with like 178 people that just like jumped on it and started doing all the classes and stuff. And then it evolved into this thing where obviously with my background, people would ask questions. So one of the things that happened was everyone started running, right? Everyone all of a sudden had a Strava account and had bought a Garmin and all the rest of it. And then people were going, oh, I can't do the class because I've been running and I've got like this pain in my legs. I just got into it and done like five miles with no training. So then I'd be like, oh, well, I'll just post a video on and explain how to like, you know, sort that out with a phone roller and stretch it and how to like you know do some basic exercise to sort of strengthen your glutes and your hamstrings and then obviously that'll help with your running so it became this like bespoke thing where people would drop something in and then i'd do a video for it to like help that thing so we just started to really enjoy it so when it finished we were like well this could be something that we can do in person stuff but actually this is another kind of area that we both really liked where we can add value anywhere to anyone and all the workouts can be done in a tiny space. You can do it on holiday. You can do it in a hotel room. You can do it at home or at a friend's house or whatever. You can do it in your garden or at the gym. Just take a device with you. So that's it's kind of developed from that, really. Uh, and then we're looking at, really, the thing we love is getting people into fitness or back into fitness. So rather than going for, like, you know, like people that really know what they're doing and you kind of almost like it's more about getting people into that journey and sort of making that first change and then being with them on that journey to develop them and give them, empower them with a lot more information. So one of the things we noticed with the fitness industry is like they just sell stuff, products and, you know, 
supplements and weight loss pills and stuff. So the other thing is like we want to teach people how to do it so they're not getting suckered by that. Yeah. And this like about this long term like habitual change that they're going to keep for life. Why do you want to get fit? A bit like you were saying, people come in and go, I want to defend myself, but actually that's not necessarily the first reason. It's probably something bigger. It's making people realize that bigger thing that will keep them doing fitness, not just because they're going on holiday in 12 weeks or eight weeks and they want to lose a bit of weight because then they'll stop. It's like, well, why do you want to do it? Is it because you want to be healthy for your grandkids or whatever and get that bigger picture? Yeah. yeah. So that's what I really like. So that's that's the idea. Get people Fantastic. through that journey. And how's that going? Um, so it's like early doors. So we've been running it without any advertisement, really low key with people. That's, they basically, when we stopped the free group, people signed up and content, continued with us. So we've had this like Facebook group private, um, but that's what I'm doing now, developing this bigger platform with a community and a website. And it's all in one package where we do live events and retreats and all that sort of stuff. And you can buy products and stuff. So um, I'll be launching that in eight weeks, basically. And then that's when like the campaign starts, as it were, like AdWords and all of that. So, really yeah. exciting man yeah so it's a tiny baby at the minute but you've got the fit to five uh, podcast as well yeah so i've been dipping it i've been wanting to do a podcast for ages um so i started it at the start of lockdown bought the kit and then i actually ended up working through a lot of lockdown with david lloyd because i was like one of the only people that weren't furloughed so we were getting loads of given loads of work so i didn't have as much time seen off <laughs> yeah so yeah <laughs> Yeah, so I was just like doing them as and when. So now I've got time to do it, try and do it each week or, you know, more. But I've been, I've done like, what, eight so far. But, you know, I did a couple close together and then it's got busy again with my job. It's just, it was, and a lot of traveling. So, yeah, I want to start be more consistent. But again, that's what that's about. It's like the idea is that people can, and there are people that have already messaged me, not had lots of listeners, but a few people where they're just like, oh, you know, I went for a walk and listened to your podcast and it really made me think of this. And that's like this podcast, like, you know, in getting people to sort of think about their goal setting and, and sort of develop themselves it's along that line that's really cool yeah, man. I'm sure it's going to do great yeah it's just um, it's a confidence thing as well definitely um, so one of the things I've realised in terms of myself like I'm normally a pretty confident person but video terrifies me mm. so I've been doing it on the microphone um, and not in this situation because you're you're leading it mm. it's more uh it's more like if I'm saying stuff, I was speaking to Johnny about this actually, we were having a chat about general fitness, obviously do similar things. And then I was talking to him about videos and I was saying some of his videos is like brilliant and they're really funny and all the rest of it. And I was saying, but I've not done any videos yet. And it's a bit of a fear of being like, almost being found out like that kind of, uh, I think you've talked about the thing, what's it, imposter syndrome kind yeah. of idea where if I put something out and I say it wrong, then everyone's gonna be like, oh, you said it wrong on that day or whatever, you know? It's, it's stupid, so that's something I'm working on at the minute, so I'm gonna force myself to do like a video series soon. Mm. I mean, I would say, do it, but I would also say like, lean to your strengths. There's a, I think because some people are good at it, let's say Johnny, for instance, I like to think we're pretty good at what we do digitally. People feel like, well, I need to do that because I'm in that similar space and they've got a podcast and some video, so I need to do some video content. Actually, sometimes your strength might be written form or it might be just spoken form. Yeah, I like and so the spoken form. Find the stuff that you're good at and niche down on that, I would say. And don't feel like you need to conform to mm. what other people, what you think other people think you should do. Yeah. So if your thing, if you're not confident behind a camera and actually you come across much more confident just speaking. Just speak. Mm. Um, Hyatt Denim, they, they built a whole business on a newsletter and they're fantastic at creating newsletters. Mm. So just do that. I think there's also a, um, you can see it as a skill as well. You know, you look at some of the best YouTubers in the world and then go back and look at like their day three video and it's like, oh man, this guy yeah. sounds cringy and his, his setup's terrible. And, and now, you know, yeah five years later or something they're looking you know, yeah they're great at talking to the camera or uh, all those kind of things so you can do it with skill right we're sure the best man i mean it's uh it's a big risk you've taken i know exactly how it feels to yeah. to leave a a career in uh in an organization where it's it's fairly safe because they're paying your bills every month and yeah. as long as you behave yourself you're gonna be able to continue to live and when you run your own business of course they automatically there's a bit of a pressure there and then when yeah. you start to employ staff and it becomes bigger, there's even more pressure because now you're responsible for them putting food on the table. And I know how that feels. I was at Sedulo headquarters again this week and invited onto a huge podcast there. Um, and there's a series going on. I felt, uh, talk about imposter syndrome. So I'm like, right, who else is on this series of eight? It's like, well, 
Alistair Campbell's number one. Tracy Neville, the England netball coach, is number two. You're number three. I'm like, oh my God. But he, this guy, Paul runs Sadulo, and they're worth the 200 staff. I mean, think of the size of that business. Massive, billions. It's lonely, man. It's lonely at the top. Don't get any easier. No. But I think you've made the right choice. And you, as long as you're happy, that's the main thing, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, I just feel like I couldn't give the value I wanted in the business I was in, in this. I can like be me and give the best of me, if you know what I mean. Again, that's something, one of my values is like kind of that, you know, be, like be yourself. And that, that lock, through lockdown, that's something I was like, actually, I need to be more of this. I'm, so a lot of the time I'll make a sacrifice for myself, um, like not do something uh, and sort of, you know, and sort of take the back seat. And actually, I don't always want to do that. And like, this is kind of that. It's like, right, it's time for me to like do what I think I was put on this planet for rather than like playing it safe. And some people are like, oh, my sister was like, oh, it's well scared. I don't know how you can do that. It's like, actually, I'm more scared in 10 years' time of being 100%. in the same job and being like, I wish I'd done that. So I don't see this as a brave move. I see it as like the opposite. Yeah, yeah, it's it's brilliant, mate. And I wish yeah. there was more people like you. Um, one quick shameless plug we'll we'll make while Kev's on camera is the fact you do massage as well. Yeah. So uh, one thing we have arranged now, Kev, is working with us more closely. Is that he's available if anyone wants a massage yeah. inside the academy. You know, you can hire out the real groom, or he'll hire out the real groom, and you can arrange that between yourselves. Yeah. And it's a nice way to. I mean, I've been for some some treatment today with with someone else, but it's a great way to you know, relieve some of that tension from jujitsu, right? So you offer that. Absolutely, yeah, especially on the mats. You've always got aches and pains and, you know, especially, like say, around neck and shoulders, just the nature of jujitsu. Like, it's, it's good to look after yourself for sure. So, yeah, anyone wants massage, let me know. I'll get it booked in. Awesome. All right. Any final thoughts? Um, don't think so. We've got a few exciting things coming up. We've got 16th of July is going to be our summer gathering. Um, which is brilliant. We we close for summer on the 22nd of July, which is a Friday. The Saturday, the 23rd, is the Empire Open, so we'll all be going down as a team. That'll be the last day we, we spend together before we come back in August. Back on August the 8th, we we're working on trying to get a Carlos Lemos Jr. seminar in place at the end of June. If you don't know who he is, he's like an OG of jiu-jitsu like I, I'm pretty sure he's like a fifth degree think so, yeah. black belt like been around for a long long yeah, time out in the stage yeah um, so try and get to that and myself uh, obviously the campaign's ongoing about 200 days till I start to run across the ocean the summer ball is happening on the 30th of June tickets are available um, if you go to our WhatsApp group you'll see a link there there's about 40 left so I need to sell them all otherwise I'll lose money that's not cool so get yourself down to black tie, free drinks, loads of food. It's going to be a great night. Nice. Awesome. Kev, where can people find you? Say again? Where can people find you? In the academy. Yeah, I'll be in the academy. I'm in first time. We obviously like do a few, quite a few classes a week and then I'll be here as well. But um, if they want to like contact me in terms of massage or anything else, you just go to fitthrive.co.uk um, and all my details are on there. Perfect. Amazing. Okay, guys, till next time. Push.